if you have been around me long, you know that I am a dad of, of five kids. And it's something that I, I absolutely love having these kids. I love raising these kids. And uh, this past week was a big week for us. I took our oldest son to Cameron to go look at his first college visit. And it is crazy how fast it goes. I remember when I had these little babies, people are like, hey, enjoy it when they're young because they grow up so fast. And I was like, no, they don't. Like, man. And then you look back and you're like, gosh, where, where's the time go? And, and I think back to like, like, it wasn't that long ago that, that I remember teaching them how to ride a bike. I remember teaching them how to take the training wheels off and, and put on the two wheels. And I remember when I was teaching him, I remember he looked at me and he said, Dad, Dad, like, I'll ride with no training wheels if you promise. Dad, you have to promise not to let go. You have to promise to hold, I mean, that, that's what you do. Like, you put the kid on the bike, you hold the seat, and as they pedal, you run behind them. Now, I don't know, like, if all kids are like this. Like, my kids, they didn't get the idea of, like, this slow, leisurely bike ride. They were like, boom, and they're flying. And, and he made me promise, Dad, that you have to run behind me and hold my seat and not let go. Because isn't there a comfort knowing that Dad's with you? Isn't it good to know that somebody is behind you, they got your back, they are going to walk you through this thing, they're going to be with you, so in case something bad happens, you've got dad there to, to, to help you out. Times have changed. I don't think he wants me to hold a seat on anything he does, like he's ready and independent to go change the world on his own. Uh, but I think it's one of those things that I begin to process through on how Aren't we somewhat dependent on the people around us? Like we as human beings, like we have this, this nature inside of us that we desire community. Like whether you are an introvert or an extrovert, we all have this need to have some people around us. Someone on your side. Someone who says, I believe in you. Someone who says, I'm behind you, I am for you. Someone that is going to encourage you. And when we have that person, like doesn't it just... Give us the boldness to think, man, we can go and change the world and do anything. I mean, it may be you may have a spouse who, who is your, your, your number one cheerleader. You may have a, maybe a parent. It may be a mentor. But when you've got that person who you know is behind you, believing in you, encouraging you, man, you're like Superman. Like, you can change the world. Anything can happen. And in that relationship, when there becomes a little bit of tension, we're in that relationship where that mentor is no longer there. But isn't that when we begin to feel alone? Isn't that when the, the fear begins to settle in? Isn't that when we begin to have this self-doubt, like, I don't know if I can do this? In, in fact, I had a, a mentor who uh, mentored uh, me years ago. Actually, he's still a mentor of mine today. Jack, this is a guy, when I think back to, like, my life and my faith, like, I don't know if anybody had a greater impact other than Jesus th than Jack. This guy uh, taught me how to teach the Bible. He taught me how to love my wife. He taught me how to raise my kids. And, and he just, he taught me so much and just had such a huge impact on my life. And, and when I was working at Madison House, he was the guy who believed in me. He was the guy that I would come and I'd be able to talk to and he would encourage me. He would say, Kevin, you can do this. He'd say, I I'm behind you. I'll help you however I can. And, and when he was there, like, I literally was going to change the inner city. It was great because I had this guy behind me. I remember that morning, uh, we would meet a couple mornings a week. I remember that morning I walk into his office and he says, hey, Kevin, I need to tell you something. He said, me and my wife, we're going to be moving to Seoul, Korea. 
We're going to go pastor an international church. And I thought, what? No, you, 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 can't, you can't do that. Like, I have all these, I need you to hold a seat. I need you to run behind me and hold a seat and tell me I can do this and you to be there to, to encourage me so I can, you, 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 can't, you can't leave. And I remember how difficult that time was where I felt a little bit like that little boy learning to ride a bike. Like, no, I need you to hold the seat and run behind me because there's a comfort in knowing I'm not alone. The reality is, we do have this need to have someone with us. And it may be a mentor or a spouse or a parent. But the reality is, that person will never permanently fill that spot. There's going to come a time when that person is going to disappoint you. There's going to come a time when that person might move away. They might pass away. Perhaps when they're holding the seat as you're riding, they may stumble and fall and let you down. And leaves us in that spot where, man... I sure wish I had them. And we can think back, and, 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 and even as tough, we, we put on these tough guy personas like, oh, I'm good, I don't need that, I'm, I'm just wonderful. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves, in that moment when we are alone with just our thoughts, and we face a hard situation, we face a difficult time, we long for that hand on that bike seat, telling us, I got this, I'm with you, you're not alone, you can do it. I'm with you. In John chapter 14, in fact, if, if you don't have a Bible, like we love you to put your hand up. We'd love to give you a Bible. Uh, we here at Restoration Church, we're Bible people. I'm really not that interesting. I, I'm not that great of a comedian either. And so what we do is we open up the Bible and we allow God to speak for us and, and try and learn what God has to say. So if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. We'd love for you to be in your Bible. If you get one of these, Man, I even love for you to mark it up. Just, just put your underlines and all that sort of thing in there. In John chapter 14, um, this is exactly where the disciples are. I mean, the disciples, the way it worked out, Jesus came on the scene, and, and he called these disciples and said, hey, you guys come follow me. And he said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go bring a new kingdom onto the earth. And they're like, yeah, this is cool. And she's like, you disciples, you're going to be the leaders. And they're like, yeah, this is awesome. They're like, here's this Jesus guy. He walks on water. Like, if he's with us, we can do anything. Like, the world is our oyster. Like, we can go and do it all. And they're excited. But then Jesus, right before John 14, Jesus comes and drops a bomb on them. He says, guys, listen up. You've been following me for three years now. I've taught you all the things. I've told you all these things. I've told you we're going to bring this kingdom. I've told you we're going to change the world. He said, let me tell you what's going to happen. He said, I'm going to get arrested and charged with crimes that I never committed. I'm going to be found guilty of those crimes, wrongly accused, wrongly convicted. They're going to put me on a cross. And I'm going to suffer and die on that cross. And I'm going to be dead for three days. And after three days, I'm going to rise from the grave. Woohoo! Sounds like it's a good end of the story. And then Jesus says, listen, and I'm going to ascend up into heaven. And I'm going to go to a different place, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, but you can't come with me. You have to stay here. You have to continue the, the mission. You have to continue doing what we call to do. And the disciples are sitting there saying, like, what? No, Jesus. Like, we're a bunch of misfits. Like, we can't go and change the world. Like, Jesus, if you're with us, man, maybe there's a little bit of hope that we can do this. 
But if you're gone, Jesus, there's no way that we can live the Christian life. There's no way that we can change the world. Jesus, you can't leave us. And that's where these disciples are. And in that moment, this is what we're going to look at today. Because in that moment, when he's dropping the bomb on them to say, I'm going to leave you. Jesus is going to promise them the Holy Spirit. Today we're starting a series, the next couple of weeks, where we're going to have a discussion about the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at who the Holy Spirit is, uh, what the Holy Spirit does, what kind of impact the Holy Spirit has on our life and on our faith. Uh, we'll get eventually to talking about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. And uh, this is an important discussion for us to have. Because within the church, within Christianity, there's a lot of disagreement about the Holy Spirit, Right? Like, if you've been in church very long, typically there's this pendulum that swings onto two different sides, two different camps. You've got one camp over here, and these are, this is a camp that has an uh, underemphasis of the Holy Spirit. This camp over here, usually these people have a strong emphasis on doctrine, a strong emphasis on the Word of God, which are, are good things in themselves. And, and the Holy Spirit is more of a theory to them. And so if you think about it like this, uh, when they look at the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like the plus sign in a math equation. Where, where the plus sign, it kind of explains how things work, but that's really all it really does. It doesn't really do anything beyond that. Their mantra would be, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Book, right? That's the one camp, there's this, this underemphasis of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and honestly, when I became a Christian, that's probably, the, uh, that, that's the church that I, became a Christian. That's how I was taught. Where for me, I always felt like the Holy Spirit was like that weird uncle that you never want to invite to Thanksgiving because he just makes things weird. Like the Holy Spirit, you know, was keeping him at arm's distance because he's just going to make things weird. And so while I learned a little bit about the Holy Spirit, I, I, I never learned uh, how to relate to it. It was a theory. It wasn't a person. And then on the other side, the pendulum swings to this camp. And this camp there is a camp that has an overemphasis on the Holy Spirit. This is where you step into this camp, and everything is the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Uh, this is where they're always talking about those weird sign gifts, uh, like tongues and prophecy, and they just make things a little awkward for us. This camp, sometimes like this, where if something happens, immediately, like, like if the Bible falls off a, a counter, immediately they're praying and saying, why bind you, demon of the falling Bible? Holy Spirit binds you. And you're like, I don't know what that was. That's weird. That scares me. I, like, I don't get that. And so on this camp that overemphasizes the Holy Spirit, where, where it's everything is related to the Spirit. And I'm just curious, have you been in church? Just, just show, give, us, give me an idea of where you are. How many of you grew up and kind of your background is an underemphasis of the Holy Spirit? You kind of grew up a little bit like that. And how many of you on the other side, you had like this overemphasis of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, everything all over the place? And how many of you are kind of waiting to see what I say before you raise your hand because you're <laughs> hesitant? Yep, yeah, that's cool too. That's cool too. We're going to have this series and try to, to have a biblical understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, of what role he plays in our life. And one of the things I'm going to ask you to do, if you've got that 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 
you've been in that camp that underemphasizes the Holy Spirit. You've been in the camp that overemphasizes the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to resist going to your proof texts. I'm going to ask you to resist coming to your learned arguments that you learn from either camp and consider looking with, with fresh eyes at some maybe familiar Bible passages and see if God would teach you something new in this time. That God would, would open your eyes to, to maybe more understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. I want to be clear, we're not going to do an exhaustive study. We're not looking at every verse about the Holy Spirit in the Bible. That would take forever. We're not going to try and deal with the abstract and the unclear and the hazy distinctions about the Holy Spirit. What we want to do is look at the theological issues that shape our faith and shape our behavior. What does the Holy Spirit have anything to do with me and my life right now, right here in Yakima, Washington, at the places that God has put me? And we're going to start today in John chapter 14. The reason why I chose John 14 to be our starting point is rather than getting the perspective of of a man trying to explain to us the Holy Spirit, I thought, let's get the perspective, the right perspective from the start. Let's get this perspective of the Son of God himself, where Jesus is going to instruct us on the Holy Spirit. Today, I want to wrestle with the idea, the basic idea of who the Holy Spirit is. Oftentimes, we refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. Sometimes, some of us view the Holy Spirit like like Star Wars, the force. I'm one with the force. The force is with me. If I can just control the Holy Spirit, he'd come and do my my bidding. And so what I want to do is is look today in John chapter 14. There's going to be three things that help us understand who the Holy Spirit is. And he starts out, this is what Jesus says, verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And just... Real quick right there, I love that idea of keeping my commandments. Sometimes we get this idea, well, that's a bunch of rules. No, if you remember what Jesus said, he said the two, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is like it, to love others as yourself. And so when Jesus says, uh, uh, I want you to love me and keep my commandments, he's saying, I want you to love me and I want you to love other people. That's what his commandments are, to love God and to love people. And he says in verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you, and I want you to underline or circle these two words. He said, I will give you another helper. Let me just give you the clue. That's the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, and he'll be with you forever. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I don't always like to do this, but we're going to geek out a little bit this morning. We're going to look at those two words and and understand what the Greek has to say about those. That first word I want you to look at is the word another. That is a Greek word called allos, and there's two definitions for allos. Allos either means another of the same kind or another of a different kind. So, for example, if we went to uh, Taco Tuesday and we're having carne asada tacos because those ones are the best, and you said, hey, Go get me a taco, and I bring you another taco. If I bring you a carne asada taco, that's another of the same kind of taco. That is the same. And if I bring you a uh, uh, chicken taco, which is not my favorite, you can have it if you want. That'd be another taco of a different kind. So it's the same word. It kind of has different meanings. And what Jesus is referring to is he's referring to another of the same kind. 
So again, understand the context. Jesus has said, I'm going away, and I'm going to ask God to send you another of the same kind. He's saying, I'm going to ask you, and specifically another of the same kind, Jesus is God. And so he said, I'm going to send you another of the same kind. I'm going to send you God himself. And this is what he's trying to say. The Holy Spirit is God himself. This is a, a reference to the theological term called the Trinity. The Trinity is a, a the Christian word. And here's what the Trinity essentially means. That there is one God who has existed eternally in three persons. That is who, that is what the Trinity is. That is who God is. That, that there is one God who's existed eternally in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus just said is, I'm going to call the helper. I'm going to call another helper. That word helper, maybe in your Bible, sometimes it's translated counselor. And that word comes, again, here's your geeking out. This is a Greek word called a paraclete, which means to come alongside which means to help, which means to intercede on your behalf. And if you understand what, what Jesus is saying, here's the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit. is that the Holy Spirit is God, and he has been called to come alongside you, to be your helper, your counselor, your comforter. And so the very first thing we have to understand, the very first phrase that we have to understand to understand who the Holy Spirit is, is the Holy Spirit is God himself. Like, do we understand that? It's not an it. It's not a, it's not a force. It, it's, not, it's not something we're trying to control. It is a person. It is God himself. It is a he. And we have to understand that, that it changes when we view God as, when we view the Holy Spirit as a person. Again, this is where I look at those disciples. Those disciples, man, they're trying to follow God. They're trying to follow the plan that God has for their life. And they're like, Jesus, if you leave us, what are we going to do? And this is where Jesus promised them God and the Holy Spirit. And that was meant to comfort them. That was meant to encourage them. To let them know, you can go and do this. You can fulfill. In fact, John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says, it is better if I go. Because if I do go, if I do go to the other place and I leave you, it's better for you because then I will send the counselor to you. Now, I don't know about you, I begin thinking through like, well, if I had a choice between Jesus and the Holy Spirit, like, man, I'd choose Jesus to go with me all, all over the place, right? I mean, if I've got Jesus and we're hanging out together and he's in my home, I'm like, I get a headache. I'm like, hey, Jesus, I got a headache. And he's like, boom, you're healed. You feel better. I'm like, I'd be cool with that. I mean, that's, if I go to the park and, and I've got my little picnic with me and Jesus and all of a sudden some of my friends show up and I'm like, Man, how am I going to feed you? All I've got is a bag of hot Cheetos and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like Jesus could pray over that, and boom, there's people in a peanut butter and jelly for everybody, right? Like I'd love to have Jesus with me. Like, like if I've got Jesus with me, and my dog runs out into the street and gets hit by a car, I'm like, hey, Jesus, Fido. And Jesus would say, Fido, live. And Fido would come running up to me all happy. I mean, if Jesus was with me, and if your cat got run over by a car, like, Jesus could do the funeral right there on the spot. Like, like bury that thing right then and there. Right? Amen. Good preaching. <laughs> like, I'd love to have Jesus with me. But what Jesus just said 
It's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit will come. And why is that? Why is it better for, for Jesus to go so the Holy Spirit will come to me? That's where you look back, John 14, our text today, verse 16. Jesus says, I'm going to send you another helper. And underline this, he says, to be with you forever. To be with you forever. The reality is, even when you look at the disciples' life, like Jesus goes off on his own. Jesus goes off to spend time with the Father. He goes off to pray. And so he's not with them forever. And here's what he says. The Holy Spirit, he dwells with you forever. That is why the Holy Spirit is better, because he is with you forever. Again, look at this text, verse 18. Uh, John 14. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. He said, I will come to you. That is in the Holy Spirit. That, that God himself will, will come to us and be with us. Verse 19, he says, Yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me. But, I, but because I live, you also live. This is a reference to the gospel. In verse 20, he, listen to this. He says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Like, I'm not sure we understand how beautiful and how powerful that statement was. That I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Here, here's what I mean by this. Nothing in our world is secure. No part of our identity is secure. Like, I've got a beautiful wife, Samantha. I'm married out of my league. I got no shame at admitting it. And we have been together for, 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 for 18, 19, 20 years been dating and, and okay we've been married 17 we've dated two we've been together 19 years I know this I know this I'm hoping that Samantha and I get another 30 40 50 60 years like that's my vision like like not only do I love her but I like her and I hope she likes me and, and, I, and I think she does because every night when I come home, she's still there. She hasn't left. I think that's a good thing. But the reality is, I have no control over her. The reality is, I have no control over the broken world that we live in. And God forbid, there could come a day when I am no longer Samantha's husband. I have no control over that. I told you, I've got these five kids, and I'm crazy about them. Crazy about them. But I have no control over this world. There could come a day that God forbid that one of my kids maybe is, is gone. Maybe there's an accident. Maybe there's a sickness. We live in a broken world. I can't control that. It doesn't matter how good of a dad I am. I can't protect them from this broken world. There could come a day when I am no longer the dad. I love this church. I love the fact that I get a, to, to, to lead and to love this church. The reality is, our elders could get together this afternoon and take an elder vote, and I would be out. I don't think that's going to happen because I've got dirt on every one of those guys. <laughs> Just kidding, I don't, but that'd be really funny if I did. But you understand that like that's possible, right? Like in a moment, they could take a vote, and I'm no longer pastor of Restoration Church. And when I begin to look at so much of who I am, so much of what I've built my identity around, 
And look about you. Look at who you are and what you've built your identity around. Any of those things, they could be taken from you in a moment. But here's what Jesus said. He said, I'm not going to abandon you as an orphan. That just as Jesus is with the Father, and that can't be changed, just as through the gospel that I am in him, that I've surrendered my faith to Jesus, I believed in what he did on the cross, and so now I am in him. And now what he's saying is through the Holy Spirit, he says, "Uh, God is in you. That can't be touched. That can't be taken away. No matter what happens, that doesn't change. That because of the Holy Spirit coming and being in us, that we are loved for, that we are provided and we are saved and we are ransomed by God to become a child of God, that we are adopted into the household of faith, that because God himself and the Holy Spirit has come to me, that can't be taken from me. Nothing in this world can take me from him, can take him from me. This is where if I get sick, guess what? I'm still a child of God. If I die, I am still a child of God. If you get sick, if you die, you are still a child of God. That can't be taken from you. If you're broke and bankrupt, guess what? We are still a child of God. If I'm no longer a pastor, I am still a child of God. That cannot be taken from me. If I'm no longer a husband or a dad, you can take all that away. But that identity of who I am in Christ... The identity of the Holy Spirit living in me cannot be taken away. That what the Holy Spirit of God does is he he ransoms us. He ransoms us out of being a spiritual orphan. And he pulls us into the household of God where we are eternally, forever known and loved for and provided for and cared for and pursued by him. Here's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is God himself. You don't have the middle one yet. And he'll be with us forever. And that cannot be taken away from us. Look back at the text, verse 21. Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot. Can you imagine being that guy? Your name is Judas, and you're like, hey, if you're going to put my name in the Bible, like, make sure you include this statement, not Iscariot. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be mistaken for that guy, right? Maybe if you're Kevin Kelly, you're like, I'm not Kevin, Pastor Kevin, right? Whatever. Okay. He says, uh, Judas says, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And I want you to underline this next phrase. He says, And we will come to him and make our home with him. We will come to him and we will make our home with him. That whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the words you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. Now here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, Jesus says we, which is the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit, we make our home with you. And this ties into the phrase he said that he'll be with us forever. 
But what he's saying is the Holy Spirit, through in the Holy Spirit, that God takes up residence inside of us. And if we're clear on who the Holy Spirit is, that phrase right there is completely life-changing. The Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not something that can be manipulated or controlled. But the Holy Spirit, here's that entire statement. The Holy Spirit is God himself who takes up residence in our lives to be with us forever. That is who the Holy Spirit is. And you know what? That is bigger than any theological knowledge that we can have, than any theological conviction that we can have about the Holy Spirit. It's to understand who he is. And if we understand who he is, man, that is greater than any supernatural gift that the Holy Spirit would give us. The fact that, that the Holy Spirit is literally God who has taken up residence in our lives to be with us forever. It's mind-blowing. Mind-blowing when we grasp this. Like, I, I recognize that some of us, you come from a, your home is a broken place. When you think about having a home, you think about dysfunction and brokenness. So you hear this, that, that, that Jesus says, God's going to make a home inside of you. Listen, if that's been your background, I'm really sorry that you've had to experience that. I want you to know you're seen. You are loved. You are not alone. But I want you also to know that God doesn't break his promises. And that when God says, I'm going to make my home in you, that is transforming. That is marvelous. That is something that we can give our entire lives to, knowing that he has made our home, his home with us. So I want to look and just say, if this is who the Holy Spirit is, he is God in the flesh who has taken up residence, made a home in our lives to be with us forever. What impact does that make on us? Ultimately, there's a lot of ways that this impacts us. I'm going to look at three things, three impacts of the Holy Spirit taking up residence inside of us. First, is that the Holy Spirit has made his home inside of you. That means that he promises he will never leave us nor forsake us. This is Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or, or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you, and he will not leave you nor forsake you. Again, I come back to that reality. We have this longing to have someone behind us. Someone on the side who believes in us, who encourages us. And as we're going and, and changing the world and doing whatever God called us to do, we want someone who's just going to hold the seat. Not do it for us, but just say, hey, you got this. I'm with you. I believe in you. You can do this. And just to be that encouragement to us. And we look for the people around us to do that. At some point, those people will disappoint you. Death, abandonment, whatever it happens to be, maybe they never show up in the first place. But this is what I need you to hear this morning. This is what you need to hear this morning. That this is an incredible promise from God. That he says, I will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. Ever. This is why Jesus said it's better if I go because if I do, the Holy Spirit will come and take residence and I will never have to leave you or forsake you ever, ever, ever. That means that you are, are never alone. That means when you're having the most difficult day, 
That means when you are, are, are at your worst moment and you feel yourself at the end of the rope and everybody else has left you and you're wondering, man, what am I going to do? Everything's falling apart. That there's this promise from God that says, I've made my home in you. I'm with you. You are not alone. Like, I'm right here alongside you. He's the loving Father who's taking residence with you, taking up a home inside of you. So that even in our worst moment, even when everybody else fails, he's there. He's saying, I got your back. I'm with you. I'm not letting go of that seat. That you can charge ahead and you can proceed because I'm with you. I'm running beside you. I got your back. We can do this together. And how much encouragement that is to us to know we're not alone. To know there's someone running alongside us saying, I believe in you. Let's do this. You got this. Not only does that mean that we're not alone, that if the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you, that that means that God's help is available to you. That's what John 14 said. Verse 16, he says, Jesus said, I'm going to send you another helper. Again, that word helper can be translated as, as comforter or counselor or friend. That if the Holy Spirit is in you, the very presence of God, the very power of God has taken residence inside of you, that he's not just sitting on a shelf collecting dust. He's not like sometimes we view our Bible where we take it to church on Sunday, we sit it on the on the bookshelf, and it sits and collects dust for the next week. That if God is inside of you, that he is your friend. He is your helper. He is your counselor. He is your comforter. That he is active and present and involved and engaged. And that when we get to those moments that we're overwhelmed, we get to those moments where we're like, I don't know what to do. We don't have to look very far for comfort. We don't have to look very far for guidance and wisdom. That it is available no further than us just closing our eyes and saying, God, God, here's where I'm at. God, help me know what to do. God, meet me where I'm at. God, I'm hurting. Would you meet me here now? Would you comfort me? That if the Holy Spirit is God who has taken up residence in us, that that help is available to us at any time we need. Third thing of the impact of the Holy Spirit taking up residence in us. And someone needs to hear this today. It's that God is not done with you. Philippians chapter 1 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That God is not done with you yet. I'll tell you, in my home, I want my kids to know two things. I want them to know that there's an unconditional love for them. That I love them just where they are, just the way they are, not because they earn it, not because they, they are worthy of it. I want them to know there's this unconditional love. I love you regardless of anything else. But there's this second idea. That because mom and I love you, we are shaping you into something. We are leading you into something. We are seeing you grow and take steps to become better than you are. And at times, that means that we discipline. At times, we have hard conversations. 
because we love our kids too much to not be concerned about who they are and who they are becoming. So I recognize there's some of us in here, we've got some demons and struggles that we've been wrestling with. You need to know that you are loved unconditionally by the God of the universe. But God's not done with you yet because he loves you when we give him the freedom to make his home inside of those hard parts of our heart that he redeems and changes and makes us better than we could ever imagine. And he begins to change us and redeem us so we be all that God has called us to be. You see how the Holy Spirit is not just a theological idea. It's not just a supernatural power that we can tap into. The Holy Spirit is God himself. If we grasp We grasp this idea that God has chosen to come to make his home inside of us. Man, how could we not long for that? How could we not just say, God, <laughs> be with me now. What we want to do today is if this is who the Holy Spirit is, let's just rest in that. Say, God, thank you for making your home inside of me. God, thank you for reminding me I'm not alone. That even in the worst days, you are with me. God, thank you that your help is available to me. That your comfort and your wisdom and your encouragement and your support Some of us just reminding ourselves we're not done yet. God's not done with us. God has taken those broken parts and redeeming them. Taking those rough edges, smoothing them out. Not so he could love us, but so that we could be all that God has called us to be. It's life-changing. Let's pray.